good to, good to see you. Good to be back here. Good to be among you. Good to see Good to see the top half of your face. I mean, the eyes are our best feature anyway, aren't they? So uh, it's lovely to see, see you. And uh, we're going to look uh, and read in a moment from Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at two parables today that Jesus told, uh, as Dave says, thinking about what the kingdom of God is like. And uh, I'll be honest, as I've been preparing this this week, it's been a challenge. I've felt challenged as I've prepared this as I've tried to dig in to actually what what is it what are these parables about what is Jesus saying and what is he meaning through I feel I feel like I've worked hard this week as I've prepared this and maybe I feel like as you listen and engage with this this morning I feel like you will have to work hard too as we work out and wrestle with this together and we haven't been on our feet for worship but uh, I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand for the reading of God's word this is something that uh, maybe we don't do very often in our churches but actually uh, going back years and years and years when the word of God used to be read in the temple courts actually they would have engaged with that by standing um, almost as respect for the for the authority of God's word and we don't do it a whole lot but I'm going to ask you just for something different this morning to stand with me as I read just six short verses when we stand uh, together and we'll read God's word. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 32. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by, its, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade." Amen. And we'll end the reading of God's word there. Why don't I grab a seat? I was chatting to a student recently, and they were telling me about something that happened to them while they were on a walk with another friend during lockdown. They were both walking along a path around a lake, and they saw a cyclist coming towards them on the path quite quickly. My friend said that he moved to one side of the path. His friend, in a moment of blind panic, moved to the other side of the path, and the cyclist had already moved and veered along to that side of the path, and they managed to crash right into one another. And so they crash into each other, head-on collision, and they both fall onto the concrete and the stony ground. And to quote my friend, who was the person unaffected by this crash, I might add, he said, they both went down so hard, man. And I found it so, just so painful to watch. I mean, it was just so awkward, and I didn't know what to say. At which I thought to myself, what a brilliant snapshot of our generation. Because there is someone describing a moment of pain, and yet they are the person who is relatively unaffected. Two people lie after a head-on collision, and the person who is complaining about the pain is the one who was unaffected. We read ourselves into the story far too often. 
Some Dave touched on last week, actually, as he spoke about the parables earlier on in this chapter. So often we're too quick to focus and to jump to what, uh, to where we are in the story. We wait to turn a conversation around so we can highlight something good that we have done, even though the conversation is not really about us. Or we watch someone else do something and we think to ourselves how we might have done it better. Or we don't fully listen in on conversations as we think about what we will contribute to the conversation next. Or we comment on a social media post, primarily thinking about how this might come across or how how it might make us come across. We read ourselves into the story far too often. And there's a danger that whenever we come to parables like these, that we can be too quick to read ourselves into the parable. We look for where we might be in the story. For example, we love to think about how we might be the good Samaritan or how we could be the good Samaritan and how we could help someone else in need when actually we are the ones in the story who are probably lying helpless on the ground and in desperate need ourselves, unable to be rescued by religion or law as they walk past, but instead rescued by an unexpected hero who steps across the divide to save us. Or we might naturally cast ourselves as the younger brother in the story who had wandered away from home and returned to the welcoming embrace of the loving father. But we rarely consider ourselves as the better older brother who remained outside the party because someone else experienced what he only deserved or what he thought only he deserved. We read ourselves into the story too much. Scott McKnight writes this, Jesus uses parables to teach people about the kingdom of God and the character of God. Parables are stories that use common everyday points of reference in order to make spiritual points. One question that I always ask about every parable is, according to this story that Jesus is telling, what is God like? That's how we approach parables primarily. Asking the question, and asking the question of these two stories this morning, according to these stories, what is God like? What does it reveal to us about God and his kingdom? Parables aren't just nice stories to make us smile or to give us moral lessons, but actually they're revelations to make us think about who God is and what life in his kingdom is like. And so what are the parables of Mark 4? What do these two parables reveal to us about who God is and what his kingdom is like? We'll get to what they might mean for us in a minute, but let's first explore each story just a little further because each of them offer a different picture and they might take a bit of working out. So in the first story, the kingdom of God is compared to a man who scatters seed on the ground. The seed grows and when the crop is ready, the farmer puts a sickle in the ground to demonstrate that the harvest has come. And then in the second story, the kingdom of God is compared to a mustard seed, which is actually one of the smallest of all seeds and it grows and becomes the largest of plants and offers shade to the birds with the vastness of its branches. So what is happening here? What's going on? In the first story, we might see, first of all, growth that is unexplainable. Verse 27, whether he gets, sorry, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So there's unexplainable growth that's going on in the story. Secondly, we might see growth that takes time. The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in in the head. And then we also see in the story that there's a harvest that comes in verse 29. 
And then in the second story, we glimpse a picture of the kingdom of God being like a seed that starts small, a plant that has explosive power, and a large tree that offers refuge and relief. But by reading ourselves into the story, we might too easily presume that our life will have explosive impact wherever we go if we follow Jesus. And that the ministry we are part of is guaranteed to grow and flourish. And that we will be part of offering refuge and relief to others. But I wonder if that's missing the point. By casting ourselves as the farmer in the story, we might assume that we are central to the story. It's our duty to sow and grow and reap a harvest. We are workers in the kingdom of God, and we get on with the job of sowing and growing and harvesting, right? But actually, if we look carefully, the key picture in this story is not the farmer. The key picture or image in this story is the seed. Because if you look carefully, the farmer doesn't actually play that active a role. Yes, he scatters seed, but that seed grows whether he sleeps or he works. And yes, he harvests the crop, but he has done very little in between. The kingdom of God is like the seed. And when the seed of the gospel is planted in our lives, it has the potential to develop and flourish and grow in incredible ways. And this seed is not affected by our working and our striving. When we are resting in Jesus, it appears that the seed will still grow. When we are striving for Jesus, that won't necessarily make it grow any quicker. But as that seed takes root in the fertile soil of a heart that is repentant and a life that is open, that seed produces grain that grows, fruit that flourishes, and ultimately a harvest that comes. The kingdom of God is like this seed because it's not dependent on your abilities or your performance or your efforts, and it's not hindered either by your limits, and it's not explainable by your words and it's not limited by your circumstances. Like this seed, the kingdom of God brings unexplainable growth, but it also needs patience in waiting for its fulfillment. Like this seed, it might start small, but the harvest will come. And as you read this parable, or as you listen to this parable, there's no doubting the potency of the seed but it helps to understand that the seed doesn't just represent our work or kingdom work, but it represents the Word of God planted in us and the truth of the gospel rooted in our lives that will fill us and flourish in us and ensure that we endure right through the time of harvest. Do you realize that that's one of Jesus' goals for our life and for our faith? Not just that we flourish for a little time or a little moment, but that we endure until harvest. Over the last few months as a family, we've been really enjoying uh, the outdoors. We, we feel like we've embraced the outdoors more than ever. We've probably been forced to. But with our two boys, we've probably taken more walks than we ever have before. We've, uh, and we've enjoyed, we've loved actually exploring forests and trails and mountains and all sorts of places. 
And recently we were walking in a forest not too far away from our house and we came across a section of the forest that had just been decimated recently and on purpose cut down and a kind of process of deforestation had taken place. And what used to be a massive array of trees, hundreds and hundreds of trees had literally just been cleared into what was now a wide open space. And actually it was really, really desolate and quite windy too. But interestingly, right next to these, this section of tree, this wide open space, there were another section of trees that had fallen down all by themselves. So hundreds of trees cut down deliberately, and then just beside it, this section of trees, of trees that had probably stood for lots and lots of years, suddenly they had fallen down too by themselves. Was it just a coincidence? Or was it because these trees had been sheltered for years by the other trees beside them and around them? And they had protected them from the wind and from the elements, and they'd given them nutrients from their root systems. Was it that they hadn't needed to develop strength for themselves because they had relied on the strength of other people around them? Sorry, other trees around them. But whenever these things were stripped away, they suddenly find themselves exposed to the elements in ways that they never had before. And suddenly they weren't strong enough to survive on their own. In these days, there's a need to ensure that we are putting down deep roots and building on firm foundations so that in times where we might not, when things that we might naturally have relied on get stripped away, we continue to stand strong against the winds that batter us. The seed in this story is potent, but how good is your soil? The seed is potent, but how good is your soil? Are you allowing the seed of the gospel, the word of God, the presence of Jesus and the power of his spirit to take root in your heart and penetrate into your life? Because it is explosive and it's powerful and it's potent and it might take time to fully flourish, but you can trust that it will enable you to endure until harvest. The seed is the gospel, the soil is your heart, and the kingdom of God will grow around you and in spite of you, but it can also grow within you and through you. You know, we don't build God's kingdom. We seek it. We don't bring God's kingdom. It breaks out in us and around us. We don't establish God's kingdom. He establishes it and invites us to join in. Which brings us to our second parable, where Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And it's important to note that this would have sounded, this story would have, I mean, it sounds perfectly maybe normal to us because perhaps we may have been around a church before or we may have heard stuff about a seed or a mustard seed before. So we're like, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. But to the first hearers, the first listeners of this story, it would have sounded completely absurd. A mustard seed, they would have said. You see, a mustard seed wasn't just strange because it was so small. It was also considered a bit of a pest. It was actually more of a weed than a plant. No one would seed, sorry, no one would sow a mustard seed on purpose 
They just wouldn't do it. Because when a mustard seed was kind of infected or planted or sown into a field, it would have taken over the whole of that field. It was an aggressive pest and it spread quickly and it didn't, uh, it was kind of unstoppable and it would have overtaken all of the other plants that were growing around it as well. And so for those people who were listening to the story, it would have sounded completely ridiculous. And yet, what a picture. What a picture Jesus has given here of the unstoppable, all-encompassing, culture-penetrating, sinner-drawing, life-changing, never-ending kingdom of God. It penetrates, and it grows, and it spreads. It's about growth, and it's about multiplication, and it's about reaching wide. And I love this quote. Have you ever heard Phil Emerson, pastor of Emmanuel Church in Lurgan, preaching? He, he uses this all the time, and uh, I've picked it up from him. Love this quote. The church that Jesus had in mind gathers together, but also dissembles itself and goes into the cracks and crevices of society in order to share Christ with the world. We need to let the seed penetrate the cracks and crevices of our lives so that through us, the kingdom of God might continue to penetrate every crack and crevice of this city and of our society as we share Christ with it. You see, in the culture at the time, plants would have been growing in really square, neat, and tidy little plots. That's how they would have grown. Uh, there, was, there was ordered rows and there was neat little squares. But a mustard seed would have wrecked uh, this, this kind of pattern and plan because a mustard seed grew outside the lines and outside and beyond the rows and the neat and tidy little squares. It was a subversive pest that did its own thing and sprang up outside the ordered and the tidy little rows. And what a picture for us of how the kingdom of God wants to be established in our lives. Beyond the lines that we draw, beyond the boundaries that we place, outside the order that we put on our lives, the kingdom of God wants to inhabit all of us, wants to inhabit all of our lives, and we shouldn't restrict it. We shouldn't restrict the kingdom of God and how it wants to grow and flourish in our lives. We should want and seek for his kingdom to seek into, seep into every crack and crevice of our heart, of our mind, of our behavior and our life. And like the mustard seed, we should allow God to inhabit our lives even in unexpected ways. Are we open to that? Again, another feature for us over the last six months has been picking out a few Netflix documentaries to enjoy or, or series to enjoy. And perhaps like some of you in, in April, May, and June, we went through The Last Dance, which is the story of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. And we loved it. Um, even Sarah was, it was how I got Sarah to watch sport, really, to be honest. But uh, through, the, through the story, it's, it's really interesting. It's probably an ego documentary, really, about how great Michael Jordan was. Uh, but what's interesting is, as you, as you go through it, you realize this isn't just about a game of basketball. It's not really even about his athletic ability. Because through the show, the show shows, the show shows that Michael, of how Michael Jordan became far bigger than the team. He became bigger than the, than the, than the NBA. He became bigger than a sport. And he became bigger 
in every way. He began to invade every aspect of society at that time. So he begins acting in movies. You know, he takes a pause from, from playing for a while. And he, begins, he becomes an actor in a movie. And then he appears on lots and lots of different talk shows. And he, contribute, he ends up contributing to political debates. And people are asking him his opinion. And it's just like, you know, he's a basketball player, but he ends up having influence. And he ends up even taking up baseball for a while before going back to basketball. He literally almost penetrated every part of society. He was everywhere. His name mentioned in every news channel, his face on billboards in every city, his voice heard on every TV station. He penetrated society. And that's the picture of the mustard seed. And you know when Jesus comes into our lives, he doesn't just want a part of it. He wants to grow his influence and penetrate into every area of our lives. He demands our allegiance and he asks us to embrace the cost of discipleship and not just the reward. And that means as you and I surrender ourselves to him, we don't just let him occupy a shelf on the mantelpiece of our lives that we take out to polish at Christmas or to show off at Easter, but instead it means we allow him to call the shots in our life as we default to his rule and to his reign. You know, we can't embrace life in the kingdom. It's what we're talking about in this series, isn't it? Life in the kingdom. We can't embrace life in the kingdom without submitting to the king. And that means allowing him to shape my desires. It means submitting my ambitions into his hands. It means letting his word trump our opinions. It means not withholding our finances or resources from him. It means becoming more like Jesus in our attitudes and in our character. Are you embracing the kingdom? Or are you also prepared to submit to the king? Recently, uh, along with Noah, our eldest, he's seven, we've started reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, bought that book, uh, ordered it, thought we'd go through it together, and it's been brilliant, and it gives an incredible picture. That story gives an incredible picture of life in a kingdom where children in the kingdom don't just enjoy the benefits of Narnia without coming under the rule and the reign of Aslan. We can't embrace life in the kingdom without submitting to the king. And I mentioned earlier about enduring the harvest time because actually as I've read that story to a little boy who is hearing it for the first time and listening to it with wide-eyed wonder, it's been amazing to watch him respond as the story unfolds. And so he's buried his head in the pillow at times uh, whenever the white witch talks. He's like, oh, I don't want to hear anymore. In fact, last night I said, do you want to read another chapter? And he's like, no, I'm too scared. So he buries his head in the pillow when the white witch talks and his face filled with panic whenever Edmund entered her palace. And he anxiously asks at the end of every single chapter, Dad, when is Aslan coming? When's Aslan coming? And I just keep reassuring him, son, it's okay. Everything's going to turn out okay in the end. Why can I do that? Because I've read the end of the story. I know the end of the story. I know how it turns out. And these parables remind us that just like the harvest will come and the plant will grow, the kingdom of God will be victorious. What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is like a seed that one day will reap an incredible harvest. 
The kingdom of God will be victorious and Jesus will rule on the throne. And right now at times in our lives or in our stories, we might want to bury our head in the pillow and we might wonder, when's Aslan coming? But as we read stories like this, and as we encounter God through his word and the presence of Jesus and the power of the Spirit in our lives, we can know and we can trust that he will be victorious. And as we do, like those little children in the story, we get to consider whose side are we on and also what part will we play in the battle as it unfolds. The kingdom of God comes. Oh, it starts small, but it comes. From the smallest seed comes a massive tree that blesses many. Multiplication is at the heart of the mission of God. But please also see that life in the kingdom is also about multiple small acts of huge faith. In these days, do not despise the small thing. The small or the strange thing, you know, the small or the insignificant thing. Remember that Jesus was one man with a handful of followers and he changed the world forever. From one person came eternal blessing. And so today, can I encourage you to find encouragement in the small, to take time to let gospel roots grow deep and be patient, to take this time to invest in your church family and your community, to seize this opportunity because from it comes can come great shoots of life. In this time, plant gospel seeds in your life and scatter it in the lives of others and watch it grow. As I finish, I want to just consider one last thing about the mustard seed. It's not obvious in the story, but it's an observation about any seed really that develops and grows. Because while we might focus on its size and its growth, I think we can miss something important. Because in order for a mustard seed or really any seed to grow, the seed has to first be broken. Because when that seed is placed first in the ground, unless it cracks and it breaks, no shoot or plant or life will ever come from it. The seed must be broken for there to be a blessing. And there's something about the kingdom of God that requires brokenness as a prerequisite. From brokenness, God can bring blessing. From the broken waters of the Red Sea, a, maid was, a way was made clear for the Israelites. In a broken city lying in ruins, Nehemiah looks around and rebuilds the city of God. With broken hands, the beggar experienced healing. From five broken loaves, thousands of mouths were fed. In their broken dreams, the Emmaus Road disciples meet a risen Savior. And from a broken body, Jesus conquered death and rose to life. God can and does bring blessing from brokenness. And to demonstrate this, I want to finish with this story. A water bearer in India had two large pots. Each hung on each end of a pole which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, and while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the crack pot arrived only half full. For two years, this went on daily, with one and a half pots of water being delivered to the master's house. The perfect pot was so proud of its accomplishments 
But the crackpot was ashamed of its imperfection and sad that it could only accomplish half of what it had been asked to do. It spoke to the water bearer, this, you know, pots speak in this story. So, uh, It spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself and want to apologize to you. For these past two years, I've only delivered half of my load because the crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to the master's house. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value for your efforts. With compassion, the water bearer said this. As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path? That's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you have watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. God can bring beauty and blessing from a place of brokenness. And playing our part in the kingdom of God isn't actually about us acting strong, but it's about acknowledging our weakness and bringing our brokenness and our limitations and our sin to Him and enabling those little seeds to grow and form and flourish in our lives that we would have not just a seed in a tiny little part of our lives, but that the all-encompassing kingdom of God, the all-encompassing, the all-powerful Savior of the world would fill our whole lives so that that gospel seed would flourish and grow and endure until the harvest time comes. Aslan is coming. He's on the move. And in these days, we get to play a part in his kingdom as he brings brokenness, sorry, beauty out of brokenness. So can I ask, have you been broken? If not, maybe today you need to approach God with humility and offer yourself to him afresh. And if you have experienced brokenness, be assured that God meets you where you are.